new on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com going on here tk can you hear me are you in are you in bed didn't, didn't you get the itinerary we're going to see nolan in calgary today i thought i was in calgary are you uh one moment please <clears throat> hold Don't on daryl look teleport calgary is beautiful man is this nice i can't hey. wait I can't wait to really help. like lots of buildings a little TK. miniature cn tower thingy uh yeah everywhere you know, has a little miniature cn tower thingy that's no? the way to go up you know cheap way to go up cn tower thingy that is fair man do we have anything going on in real estate right now or is it just like everybody's looking around at each other going like what are you up to you pretending to be busy too yeah i'm 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 pretending to be busy too. What I like the most right now is just how much this environment creates better agents, right? Like it's just, it's so obvious to me how everything's changed, right? Like the communication I have to have with the clients, the preparation that I have to do, the evaluation of pricing I have to get into. Like I was doing one this morning and it was just like, I, got, I had to get into so much details to be able to go over the pricing. I was going over like years worth of data because it was just one of those situations where they really needed to understand that things weren't the same anymore. And um, before it was just like, look, we're going to go on at $9.99 and they're going to do an offer date and you can expect anywhere between 1.2 and 2 million. All right. <laughs> and I can't even tell you where it's going to land because nobody yeah, well, knows. Even, even today, no one's going to pinpoint pricing, but the main, she goes. The, the main thing is, is like, there's, there's better agents that are being created and buyer agency. Wow. But I noticed the biggest... what, what, what about the deal that we're working on? How's that agent looking right now? Well, let's not talk about that. That's but, ridiculous. Uh, but, um, buyer agency, like I'm going out with the buyers. I'm like, you know, giving them like shoulder massages in between showing like, you guys want to ride, you guys want to stop for food. You know, do you need me to invest in your TFSAs? Like, Is what that... do you guys need? Is that a better agent? Is that how better agents behave? But, but you want to go play golf the, on Friday? But like you go on to golf, do you guys want to golf? Do you go on vacation? Do you want to, do you want to use my aeroplane points? But like just the buyer agency stuff, like we're, just, we're going to see more properties. We're educating the buyers more. We're looking at, uh, you know, the market conditions a lot heavier. Uh, we're, we're scrutinizing the houses a lot more. We're staying in there longer. There's just so many added benefits to uh, agency relationships, whether on the seller or the buyer side in this market. And, uh, you know, it really, it makes me feel good to be honest with you. But you are not typical and the typical ones are not doing that. They are. I think all the good ones are. Yeah. There's the a good lot of good agents are. in Toronto. There's a lot of good agents in real estate period all across North America. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, we have a great guest for you all today <laughs> <laughs> for all you great realtors out there that are watching the show. Uh, we love. Mr. Nolan 
what is this he's no longer accepting it. It like uh things i can't change i'm changing the things i can't accept what is that last part the last part i can't tell what it says he's changing the things he can't accept can't accept yeah i'm no longer accepting the things i can't change yep I am changing the things I can't accept. Ooh, okay, doom, we doom, got doom, it. Doom. He's a leader. I He's left leader. that there for you, just Found. so you can read it. Profound. <laughs> Thank you. The boss He's is here. In all areas of his life. The boss oh is here. God. Not only. PK and Daryl, the Canadian real estate show. Congrats, Thanks man. It's, it's going Thanks well, hey? It's going no, well. No, you guys already had it planned. I just pushed it over the edge. It's, We're it's, trying. We're trying our best trip. to just uh, get out there and get in front of people. And man, you know, Daryl's got us here on a beautiful Sunday morning. And recording for our show today, releasing it live at four o'clock. Every Sunday, four o'clock, we've had an episode air for ever. Years. Yeah, no, no. For like two years, yeah. maybe a Absolutely little amazing. more since yeah. the uh, since the the word you can't say or you lose all kinds of views happened. <laughs> What a crazy business. But look yeah, at no you. Kidding. You are like, you are technically and officially the goat of the Canadian real estate YouTube scene. You have more <laughs> subs than anyone. Uh, I don't know. You and uh, you and Steve keep telling me that, but you know what? It's just, it's been a long haul, long journey and it just keeps growing. And that me, that to me says we're, we're doing something well. Mm. By the way, I love what you guys were doing um, last week with your with your live there. That was wicked. Yeah, we yeah. Uh, we would love to have you we'll be part you of it one. on the next one for sure. Absolutely. You, uh, I was traveling that day that you did that. I was literally in between Edmonton and Calgary at the time you were doing it, but I'd love to do it the next time you have an opportunity for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a and, whole bunch of fun. And it was a great discussion. I mean, you guys talked about everything from pre-construction to, you know, the market where it's going. I loved how uh, there was some diverse, diverse views on some of the things. It was It was great. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. This episode is brought to you by Landlord. This Landlord software is a game changer. You upload your properties, right? You upload all the information, income, expenses, timelines, mortgage details, everything that you need to have so that you keep track of everything in your portfolio. And as you go through real-time adjustments in you know, rent increases and uh, water bills and, and tax bills and everything else, they're going to actually give you recommendations on how to make your portfolio more efficient and it just breaks everything down for me in a way that i've never seen before like excel spreadsheets just don't cut it i don't think there's a better program or app out there for investors and it's free please click the link below for your free trial offer we had a lot of fun that was that's the intent right is just kind of like bring people on and just like hope something comes of it daryl was trying to be the instigator he was trying to just <laughs> get underneath he was like i'm not a realtor and i've got all these views Right. Uh, you know, we, we got them pretty good. We made sure, but you coming on there, on, Nolan, that'll be a nice, tight. that'll be a nice, uh, you know, compliment to, to some real estate chatter. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'd love to do it with Tom's story as well. I think that would be amazing. He's by the way, the way we got connected. Right. So a hundred percent Tom, Tom yeah. was also invited to it. Uh, he was, he was very busy. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a few you other great successful. ones on the list. Yeah. Listen, you guys are busy, so we're going to have to figure out uh, how to get everybody all rung up at the same time. <laughs> Actually, I'm heading out your way next month. So I don't know what? if maybe, yeah, we can connect for, 
for a, a coffee or a, a beer or something like that. But uh, absolutely, I'm, you I'm tell me you're, when you're Banff, in town, baby. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, nice, yeah, amazing. Excited. Are you going vacationing? Are you going for work? Or yeah, well, I, I'm going on vacation, but I'm sure to uh, work while I'm there. I'll definitely be looking at real estate. That's for how far is Banff from Calgary? Like nice. an hour and a half drive, I think. Yeah, so I'm on the west side of the city. It's literally 55 minutes out my back door. Awesome. And I'm landing in Calgary. Yeah, well, well, we'll definitely hook up, whether it's in Calgary and Banff. I don't mind going to either place. So yeah, I'm, I'm in one and I can go to the other pretty easily. But yeah, let's cool. do it. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, 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 thank you for watching our last video. I, I always watch your videos and I, I, I love what you were talking about. And I think it's very important that we discuss it even further without the constraints of a, a eight minute video. Um, okay. But really like, and I've been saying it for a while. If I go back, I don't even know how many months, like let, let's, let's hold a, appraisers uh, and the people that should be accountable, accountable for, for at least their part in the mess that we're in. Right. Because yeah. I mean, I, I, you touched on it, but the reality is that, I mean, look, all of us in the, in the system are abusing the system to our benefit one way or another. And that's just kind of how the system works. And some people are smarter than others, but like appraisers should have to justify what they are producing. And they're really designed to be that, that, that mechanism that stops the greediness doesn't play part to it. And it's really easy for them to do in my opinion. And I know, you know, if you, if you do what everybody wants you to do, you're going to make more money, right? So that leads yeah. to the next problem, which I tried to draw out in that conversation as well as the incentives all around are just completely fucked. So I'd love for you to kind of maybe uh, elaborate on what I'm talking about from your perspective as, as a broker dealing with that whole situation, right? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, the video you're referring to, uh, we talked about uh, an article that came out by BNN Bloomberg, which I think was probably a little bit of a, a fringe outlier sort of article, only media outlet that picked it up. But what they're talking about was two scenarios. The first what, uh, that were causing distressed sales. And the first was purchase or sellers um, or sellers who had already lined up a property three, six months ago, were in the position where they now had to sell their property. And all of a sudden the values had dropped out and the equity that they had to purchase their next property that they'd already bought had essentially uh, vanished due to uh, lower housing prices due to higher interest rates. And then the second piece, and this is the piece that the BNN Bloomberg article really focused on, was the piece with respect to people getting appraisals um, and the appraisers are in the appraisals not coming in at the values. So I think the example they used was $930,000 purchase price and the property appraised two or three months later for 800,000 and then 740,000, which led the bank to not want to lend. And this is like, first and foremost, a completely preventable problem as long as you are getting the appraisal done at the time that the mortgage gets approved. And if you have, there we go. And if you have a competent mortgage broker or a competent lender, they're going to make sure that this gets done. Now, banks, 
in a lot of cases, we've seen them hold off on getting their appraisals done. We've seen brokers hold off on getting their appraisals done because it's never been an issue before. Um, this is something that in the Calgary market we could see in 2007. We saw it again in 2014. So for us, it's like we know that when the market turns, it can cause appraisal issues. So we always make sure we get those appraisals done up front. But here's the thing about appraisers is for the last 10 years, appraisers have had their industry disrupted in a way that very few people realize has happened outside of the mortgage broker industry and outside of the appraisers themselves. And what happened is there's two companies. Now I believe there's three that kind of came in and disintermediated the, uh, the, um, the appraisal system where basically they went to all the banks and said, you need better data. You need blind appraisal choosing. So in other words, you need a system that just randomly selects appraisers so that broker or a, or a banker can't pick their favorite one and get a value that is way over what it should be. And they came in and they put technology in place. And as a result, what ended up happening is you had appraisers who went from typically receiving three to $500 per appraisal. They started receiving 230 to $350 per appraisal. And it basically chopped off 30 to 40% of their income overnight. Now, in a normal market, they're just having to do more appraisals and it sucks for them. But then we get into this market of 2021, 2022, and all of a sudden it's a boom in the appraisal market again, because they're now having a ton of people request appraisals. They're getting more business. They're getting super busy. And now they're starting to have a little bit of control over their incomes again. And what that essentially did was it created a scenario where one, it was really hard to get an appraisal done quickly. Like we, we had an appraiser, we used, used to, and she watches my channel, um, but she is, so she may see this, but she used to be able to get an appraisal done next day for us all the time. And she always kept a spot open for us every single week during the pandemic here in, in 2021, 2022, it was like, she might be able to get one done in a week when we were dealing in other markets where we, we didn't know appraisers, you know, it was, Oh, we're, we're two weeks out or we're three weeks out. And if you need it right away, we're going to charge you an $800, $800 rush fee or a thousand dollar rush fee. And they really started taking advantage of the fact that the market was busy. And, you know, I think this is a product one of the fact that they've gotten beaten up for so many years. And now this was their opportunity to make some money again. So they did that. Now, with respect to the appraisal amounts, they do have to justify their appraisals. In fact, the rules that they have with respect to appraisals and the comparables that they use are very, very strict. So if you get an appraisal, there are ways that they can be tweaked. Like you can find different comparables and you can make a case for your property. Maybe the appraiser missed something, but for the most part, across Canada, they're usually generally pretty accurate where this BNN Bloomberg article was pointing out that people were having appraisals that were coming in a hundred or $200,000 below what they purchased for. Well, what was happening there was simply the appraisal wasn't ordered at the time of purchase. And then you've got this gap between time of purchase and the appraisal where the values dropped. And that's the problem. It's not so much the appraiser's fault. It's probably the lender or the mortgage broker's fault. Well, but hold on and, a sec. Let, let me just cut you off. Cause I mean, you, you, you're, you're definitely partially right. But there's the other side of the coin here where mm -hmm. on the way up, somehow justifying purchase price of a house that was $100,000, like the closest comp last week. Now, all of a sudden, yeah, oh, my God, your appraisal, it's amazing, came right in at 1.8, even though the, the previous comp was 1.7. 
a week ago or maybe yeah. even a day ago, that, that yeah. cascading effect had to have been stopped at the very beginning when it was like, hold on a sec, this house yeah. is not worth 1.25. It shouldn't be worth 1.25. That last one wasn't worth 1.2 either. But then we start getting into it's worth what, what people are willing to pay, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I can shed some light on that as well. There's different types of appraisals for different functions, right? So if you're going through um, a divorce scenario, that's one type of appraisal, appraisal and the appraisers look at a property differently based on the fact that, be, that it's a divorce scenario. Um, if you're getting uh, an appraisal for a private lender, um, they'll typically appraise it based on a, a quick sale. So a very, very short time frame of sale. When you're getting a... Um, and, and this is really just comes down to timelines, right? The appraiser is not look, only looking at the values, but the, the timelines and the urgency of a sale having to happen dictates the value of the property to a certain extent. So what's happening when you see those run up in prices is they're doing appraisals for the purpose of supporting the value. This is a, a specific type of appraisal that is done for the purposes of a mortgage. And what happens is the price that you pay on the day for a property. So let's say you're in a market where it runs up and the housing price, and you pay $100,000 over ask for that property, well, you've now established the value for that particular property, and in a lot of ways, that area. So then what the appraiser's job goes, to, or then what the appraiser's job to do is, is to go and support the value that you paid. And one way that they can do that is they can say, okay, well, you paid it. Yeah, you paid it and go back to Mr. Listing Realtor. Hey, how many offers did you have? Well, there was 19 offers and five of them were within this price of right. within this range of five to $10,000 of what we actually accepted. And then you've got a supporting value, right? What more importantly too, though, right? Nolan, correct me if I'm wrong, is a lot of the time these appraisals are, these appraisals are, are also happening weeks later, you know, and yeah. there's other sales in the neighborhood where a buyer sees that Joe, Joe Blow just paid 1.25 and the next one comes up at, you know, 1.2 and there's 16 offers instead of 19. And so that guy pays one, three. So now the appraisal, when it comes in, yeah, at the time of purchase, it was the highest and maybe it wouldn't have appraised, but now at the time of appraisal, there is supporting data, yeah. right? And yeah. that, and that's, yeah. that's the, the issue, right? And it's the reverse of that today. Why is it at the time of purchase, you know, maybe at the time of purchase, it was worth a million dollars on April 16th, 2022, but now it's May 31st and we're doing the appraisal now and there's been sales that are lower. So we've got to appraise it based on the most recent data. Yep, totally. And when housing prices are rising, it doesn't matter when you do the appraisals, but when they're coming down, that's where you have that exposure. And that's what these people are feeling is that exposure to the fact that their appraisal wasn't done the day they bought it. It was done a month or two later. It sucks. My, my Didn't thing they is start... This Didn't is, they start appraising later because they were waiting for the value to catch up to it when the market was heating up? Like people would a wait. A good mortgage oh. broker would do that, right? Yeah, if, for if, sure. If, you're, if your clients paid a high price, then you'd, you'd want to appraise it as late as right. possible. Right. right. Yeah. Know? I mean, there's no, there's no reason to do that, though, again, because they in that rising market. So let's say February in that rising market, the price that was paid was the price that was paid. And they could, in all likelihood, support the value, especially if they're in competing offers. But if it so wasn't, again, correct me wrong, this is your industry. If it wasn't, yeah. and you did it, let's yeah. say, 30 days later, and there was mm -hmm. still another 30 days before closing, mm -hmm. would the strategy not be, let's do another appraisal in a couple of weeks to see if we can get that number up? Yeah, you definitely could. There wouldn't be a ton of reason to do it unless you're going to try to finance for more than... But, than, but, uh, but if it was lower, like if the shortfall was there, the, the client couldn't do it, 
then a strategy of a mortgage broker could say, yeah. you know what, let's oh, yeah. let some more data come in in a couple of weeks and then we'll yep. redo it again. Right. Yep. Definitely. Here, here's It'd my be thinking. rare for it to happen, but it, it's doable. Yeah. I, for sure. I agree. I agree. Um, Daryl, your, your point, Daryl is there's a conspiracy going on and. Oh, you know, no, I think people. there's a problem with the, with the policy around it and the regulations. Like I think the way that they have to look at it just because somebody's willing to pay for it because they're desperate and crazy in a super booming market. Like that mechanism for safety disappears completely the way that the rules are written. But this is my understanding. And this is what Nolan's saying right now, I believe, is he's saying it's based off the facts and they're going to appraise it based off of the data that they have available. And there's a very consistent method across Canada that's used. So my question to you, Nolan, is because what I feel is happening and and it sounds like I'm wrong, is that now because the market is going down, that people are appraising things even lower than what the data is yep. anticipating that it's going to be yep. even lower by the time closing. Are they doing that? Are they are they being more conservative in this market? Well, I hope they're getting more conservative. That's that's for sure. But um, but yeah, I mean the appraisal is good on the day that it's done, right? And that's so you feel they're being accurate, and it's not it's not like again they're they're not saying like I don't want to end up in court over this and have to you know swear my testimony about this value. Yeah. So I think it's a and million, but I'll do nine eighty just to be sure. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly happening. the thought I had at the moment when you said that was, yeah, there, there could be some, there could be some trying to escape liability um, and maybe being more conservative on the appraiser side. But mm. at the end of the day, like they all have errors and emissions insurance and they all know that. And, you know, as long as they're not negligent and reckless, if they get sued over the value of the property and, and they can show that they have the comparables for it, you know, it's, it's not really a game where they should be getting into too much trouble. I don't know. I, it's interesting. I think everybody's running a little bit scared right now. And I think that's probably, probably includes the appraisers, right? I would be right. Sure. Yeah, I, I want to make sure that it never came back to me and jeopardize my livelihood and stuff like that. And that's just human nature. Right? Yeah, totally. Question for you guys. Um, one of the things that was pointed out in the comments, of that video on, on my uh, channel was, that some some realtors are suggesting that they have an appraisal condition put into the purchase contract, which the appraisal has always been part of the financing. So it's always been part of that financing condition. And if it's done within that seven to 10 day financing condition window, it's a non-issue, right? Mm-hmm. But is that appraisal it's, condition? It's an, it's an optics I'm, thing. So it's yeah. like, a, hey, look, we're good. Fine. I, I've never used it. And I don't think I've seen it in a contract for years, but I know it mm-hmm. exists. It's an optics thing. Hey, I've got my financing. We got credit. We got down payment. We got income. We got all that type of stuff. But we just want to make sure the appraisal is coming in. So technically in court, you know, if you were to go there and you were to say, you know, uh, I backed out because, you know, my financing was in place, but the appraisal didn't come in, but you could still technically afford it. You could have like a case where you're not acting in good faith. So it's, yeah. it's more about just saying like, look, if this appraisal doesn't come in, I don't care if I'm still able to afford it because I have a big enough down payment to cover it. I want to mm-hmm. back out of this deal and, gotcha. and get out again, not, not common. It's just an optics thing. And to yeah. me, it's redundant if you ask me, but I mean, from a seller's perspective, right. If I get, if I get asked to accept that, that condition on an offer, my first thought is why would I accept that? Um, because if the price is the price today and I'm not going to let you be subject to an appraisal 25 days down the road and, and have that risk a bunch of my equity. But I also don't want that person choosing the appraisal or the appraiser and then the appra- and then saying to the appraiser, well, we want the value of what it would be in a quick sales scenario where they had to sell it in 30 days. 
and therefore get a significantly lower value and then try to negotiate down the price, right? Like it's it, the old it home It would be a five-day condition. Again. So again, it would be the exact same as a financing condition and it's a redundant yeah. way of doing it. Yeah, so it doesn't make sense. uh, No, well, I mean, it makes sense if you're throwing out a million offers out there trying to, you know, score a deal. I've had had people do that even in good markets because they are concerned. These are like higher end clients and they're concerned Mm -hmm. about values in in certain areas and stuff like that. And I've kind of coached them on that. My advice is we put in a financing condition and just make sure that during that time we have the bank order and appraisal. And then you can decide if if you're comfortable or not during that time. So, but technically right you idea. could get your financing. You just may have to like pony up a bit more money or have a higher rate or like you could get your financing on it. So, I mean, it's not the stupidest thing to throw out there because you could get your financing, but just not be happy with, with the deal. Yeah. How does that work? The clause is written a... in a way to be able to confidently not proceed with the, with the offer. Right. Yeah, I think that depends on the market, right? Like in Alberta, the financing condition is now satisfactory financing to the buyer, right? So like if they can't get that extra $20,000 that they wanted, they they have a way to walk out. I was going to say, yeah, like in Saskatchewan and Alberta, it's very different than throwing I'll give you guys a story. Sorry, Joe. My brain works fast sometimes. So this morning (laughs) I was at a house and it was the the ladies from England. So this is how it works in England. So apparently it's different in the UK and only in England. It's, it's like this. She's from outside London. She said, you go and you make an offer and there's a point of exchange that could be months away before the actual closing date. And so let's say you come in and I say, Nolan, I want to buy your house. It's uh, a million pounds. And the date of exchange is uh, July 15th. So now between now and July 15th, I have the opportunity to back out and do anything I want. And between now and July 15th, you can come in and say, I've got another buyer. So even though you've got this setup where it's like, I've got an agreement with you and we're supposed to sell for a million pounds and it closes August 31st. But during this exchange period, anything can happen. And she used a word that I can't even try to repeat right now. It was definitely a a made up word, like a, a jargon type of thing there. But basically you've been like, you know, pushed out of the situation. And so anybody who says like, I got I don't know, bamboozled or whatever. It means that the seller knocked you out and took on another buyer. And when they close, they have like 20 different closings of buyers all on the same day. And everybody's got the same issue, which is I need that money from that guy to get that guy, that guy. And it's this big, long chain reaction. It's the most messed up system. So even though, Daryl, this system's not great in Canada, there's worse systems out there. So that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it must not be easy buying like one of those tin huts in the deserts. That has to be tricky. How do you <laughs> how do you get title? <laughs> I think you just drop your tin hut you and just, then you uh, and you live there until somebody tells you that you can no longer, no longer live that's there right. anymore. Just collect pieces of tin in one place. Yeah. It's so, funny. So- I, I look at the New Zealand market right now and like houses are not selling at auction and. and Australia and New Zealand have a, have a auction based system, um, which is ironically what the Canadian government and BC government want to put in place uh, over and above our blind bidding system. And now they're getting to the point in those two countries where nobody's showing up for the auctions. Like they can't even sell the properties at auction anymore. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, Canada's real estate market is, is unique um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and the U S system is similar, 
but uh, but you know you go anywhere else in the world and it's there's a lot of jargon associated with it that that you know a, a realtor couldn't drop into another country from Canada and go in and sell houses elsewhere. Um, you wouldn't want impossible. to. You wouldn't yeah. want to. It's very lucra- it's very lucrative here. The mortgage and uh, real estate industries compared to the rest of the world. I don't even know how how people can go from one market to the other here. I mean, from just interviewing people across the country. There's so many nuances locally and the, the, the vast difference between provinces is just absolutely insane how, how their markets behave that like, how can a guy from Ontario, I mean, not even forget even Ontario, a guy from Toronto even work in the outskirts of Ontario, let alone Saskatchewan or, or Vancouver, right? Like it, it there's. Wait till you come to Banff. 55 minutes from Calgary, 15 minutes from Canmore. The Canmore market operates significantly different than the Calgary market does. There's three real estate boards in a town that maybe has 35,000 people. And the Banff market, which is 15 minutes further down the road, operates even more completely differently than that. And then we got guys that want to go across the country and and open up everywhere. I, I tell you, like, opening, having YouTube become a success and then opening in Ontario and Saskatchewan and BC, we learned a lot about mortgages really, really fast in a really short period of time because all these markets operate so differently. Is it competitive in Canmore? And uh, is that what you were saying? Like it's it's ratio of- What's the difference between how they all operate those three areas? Yeah, so it's competitive first and foremost. Calgary realtors. So everybody in Alberta has the same license, just like they do in Ontario. So Calgary realtors like to go out to Canmore. And if a Canmore realtor gets a call from a Calgary realtor for a showing, they do pretty much everything they can to, uh, to make it hard for that Calgary realtor. And, or even more so if a Calgary realtor is trying to list a Canmore property, then they've got two or three different boards that they've got the properties listed on, including their own local um, listing database. So if, uh, if a Calgary realtor is trying to get access to that Canmore market, there's certain listings that they can't see because the Canmore realtors like to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a whole bunch of like zoning stuff, like mine shafts. If you want to buy a property for Airbnb, like don't even bother in Canmore. Um, if the municipality finds out you're doing it, the tax rate goes up tenfold. Um, and you got to know where the mine shafts are. You got to know where all the stuff is. And then you go further into Banff, another 15 minutes down the road, and that's a national park. Well, you don't own the land in a national park, but you can buy a house in the national park. But there's all these rules about what you have to do, including living there in order mm-hmm. to own in the national park. But then they've got guys that own that own or that lease small offices in Banff on like a second story um, commercial building, second story of a commercial building. And these guys have like an office in Banff just so that they can have a recreational property in Banff um, because you can't, uh, you can't live there or own there unless you work there. It's, it's crazy. And the wow. guys in Canmore Genius. who know the Canmore and the Banff market, like there's a guy named Chris Vincent who works for Sotheby, Sotheby's like he's a walking encyclopedia of the area. It is phenomenal how much he knows. And it is also it is so scary how much he needs to know to operate in those two small, tiny markets. Daryl's going to look him up and just get taken on a tour of houses in Banff. Well, I can't find anything else to do there. Like I went online (laughs) and I was like, what's there to do in Banff? And absolutely uh, nothing. Not much came up. Really? There's nothing to do in Banff? This is like such a like iconic destination. Like, what do you mean? 
if you want to like walk a lot, yeah, then there's so what about a much canoe? to do. What can I do if I had a canoe? If you had a there's canoe, you could do. do. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to do if you Maybe like you go to, to Lake like, Louise. Maybe yeah. I don't know. I'm not in charge of uh, mm. of the schedule. I we'll have, make sure you we'll make sure you get some good tips. But who is it? Your wife who's in charge of the schedule? Is that the? No, it's one of our friends. We're going with another couple, so she's uh, taking the bull by the horns, so to speak. Yeah, there's so much to do. I mean, hiking, gondola to the top of the mountain. There's uh, kayaking. You can you know go out and ride the. The Banff get, Parkway, which is, yeah, it's unbelievable. I want to get ATVs, go buck choy on some ATVs out there. That you will not do in Banff. <laughs> oh, that's like I knew that. It didn't sound right. National yeah. Park. She <laughs> told me. She told yeah. me. Damn. You can get like a pedal ATV. Well, yeah. we're going like for a, vacation. Like a bike so. where you sit down. It's like a recumbent bike. Maybe I'll, I'll get to relax while everybody else is uh, looking at nature. So, so Nolan, you'll love it. It's amazing. You're, you're you're doing a lot of business at Ontario, right? So mm-hmm. right now, are you seeing a lot of deals have issues with the appraisals and closings and stuff like that? No, we operate like we're in Alberta. So we've always made sure those appraisals get done right away. So, I mean, we, we aren't having those issues and we haven't had those issues yet, knock on wood. Um, so so but- my next question would be, have you, have you had any uh, delay or pushback from the banks on the timing of the appraisal are they saying no we don't want to order it yet closing is not for 90 days we want to order it closer to closing no no if we get it right away they take it the underwriters are like no problem you submit it right they away want it they done just- right they okay. want it done they want it off their desk it's like if they got to wait 90 days for that appraisal that's one more file that's open yep. they want that thing complete and gone as fast as possible um yep. It makes their lives more efficient. It makes everyone's life more efficient. I mean, and also keep in mind that, you know, we're, we're probably being selective about lenders. So we're probably using um, um, more lenders that have an ABS system. So that's an automated valuing system, mm-hmm. which is basically um, a soft submit to like a CMHC or a, or a Sagan Canada guarantee. Um, so we're smart about it that way. Like we know generally if we're going to absolutely need an appraisal. And if we know we're going to do that, we, we just pick the lenders that also allow us to, uh, to, ch- to choose our own appraiser. So we don't have to go through the appraisal aggregate systems. Um, it's just, it's strategy, right? So we've got, we've got some more options and we've got some more, so the ability to sort of, I, I would want to say massage, but that's not the right right word but just strategically help the client pick yeah. the lender that's going to make it the least amount of a nightmare for uh for for themselves and what, for us right well yeah what you just said to me would have saved people hundreds of thousands of dollars if they had gone with you when they bought that house in march or april or even some of them in may are starting to yep. have issues right it's yeah. like people just don't they, they think they can just go with anybody and everything's gonna be fine the mortgage brokers are all laxy daisy you know don't worry we'll get it done this won't be a problem oh appraisals won't be a problem and i was calling i got two issues i got two i had three deals that the appraisals came in one already closed one's on an extension one's supposed to close next week and they're asking for an extension now right and mm-hmm. the same story same song and dance can you cover the shortfall during offer presentations we've got this many offers we need to know who's got you know who's most liquid and I, oh yeah 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 we got it we got business here we got this we got all these things that we got big deposits too so like you know there's there's money involved um but of course now you know it's coming through so yesterday i finally got on the phone with one of the guys mortgage brokers and uh he's like we need 30 days 
And I was like, 30 days. He's like, yeah, we need 30 days. I said, like, what do you mean? Like, don't, don't you want to like, at least explain to me what happened? So I said, you know, like what happened initially he says appraisal came back, whatever. And, and I said, okay. I said, well, like based on what I'm seeing, it shouldn't have come back that much. He said he had a, a certain amount put together. He said, well, no, you know, he's the appraisal amount is, is, is too much for him to cover. So I said, okay. I said, so what's the next strategy? Why should we give you an extension? Why is it that this is not going to be a problem this time? He's like, oh, we're going with RBC. We know that we're going to get the appraisal done and we need 30 days. I said, so why would we need 30 days? I said, why can't RBC do this in like a week? Like what's going on? Tell me, because now you're gonna have to order another appraisal if you're changing lenders. He goes, oh, well, we're not doing the application until we know that we've got the extension in place. And I was like, all right. I said, so the broker was sending the deal to RBC or was it an RBC mortgage specialist? You you know what? Good point. Um, The guy that I was talking to, because RBC is, uh, they only deal with the bank, right? Yeah. They don't deal with mortgage brokers. Exactly. Yeah, so They're like the point. biggest purchaser of of non-bank mortgages in Canada. But yeah, if you yeah. want an RBC logo on your mortgage statement, they only will deal with, with you directly. Yes, good, good, good point. So I wonder if he's just got a contact in the bank or he's a, or if he's an RBC mortgage guy. It sounds like he's a mortgage broker and he could be referring to somebody, which tells me maybe something shady is going on, right? But uh, yeah. anyways, he said- Well, it tells no me that he ran out of options, right? Yeah. He says, he says he can get it done. He's like, I just need 30 days. I said, I just had this conversation with two other guys in the last month. Both of them told me the exact same thing. And both of them caused me more problems. So I said, unfortunately, I don't believe what you're telling me as like face value. Right. Yeah. And I mean, 30 days is, is extreme. Like we've, I don't want to, I don't want to get knock on wood and I don't want to say this publicly and have everybody come to us, but uh, cause we just can't handle like handle more than what we have, but like five days would be long for us to get an approval done and completed. We might have to wait for an appraisal for another two or three, but you know, to say we need 30 days, that, that tells me that it's probably not going to happen and rarely does it when somebody asks for that long of a, uh, an extension. Yeah. You can wait so long. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the you thing know, too. Exactly. My guys don't... You wait 30 days, you lose another hundred grand. Yeah. Exactly. And then you got to go back on the market and you find out that the house is worth even less and you're suing the buyer for even more. Okay. So it's not the appraiser's fault. Fine. They're a piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I I tried to kind of take a look, poke at it a little bit on on that uh, live episode. But I mean, we have some of the most successful realtors in social media have gained notoriety through being a real estate bear. Interestingly enough. And we have a lot of successful realtors that are bears, right? Well, I, I, I think people are confused if I'm a bull or a bear. I mean, I, I, some days yeah. I'm bullish and some days I'm bearish. But it, it's a very interesting thing to see a bunch of bears selling the product they're bearish on and it not being a piece of this puzzle that we have in front of us right now. That doesn't seem yeah. to work. Properly. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because the the problem with social media and YouTube specifically is if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, so you kind of have to. So what I what I found in my videos is I have to have a really scary title and then talk in the video about why it's not so scary. Not so scary. But I mean, the 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 risk and the fear is that you turn into like Garth Turner, who I'm not sure if you guys do. You guys are you guys familiar with Garth Turner? So yeah, I'm glad uh, you are now. 
he's he was a member of parliament like way back 15 20 years ago and he's been calling the collapse of the canadian real estate market for 15 or 20 years and at some point he might be right but he's been a bear for that long and the people who have followed him have stayed out of the market for probably not just hundreds of thousands of dollars but probably millions of dollars right mm. and you know he's he gained a really big following by saying hey, the market's going to collapse and, and did it for a very, very long time. It's, I'm not sure if he's still doing it. I think he probably still is. Um, but yeah, that's that's the fear is you you end up being the guy who's always calling the downturn in the market. But anybody can go and look at a 100-year graph of the real estate market and you can see there's blips on the radar. Same thing with the stock market. But in a long-term general sense, the markets continue to go up. So if you're always being the bear and calling the bottom, you know, you're probably going to be right more often than if you say, even in a market like this, like it's going to continue to go up, up and up. That's a, so is it the a negative, But is it's it, a, it is it the it. negativity that the people that are watching are craving that they provide? Is this the, is this, is it like a moth to a flame? Like, what is it? What, what is it about people that are saying the sky is falling forever Imagine the news. Imagine the news. If it was just, just like, you know, today, today, a fight was broken up before it started. There was, uh, you know, an accident avoided tonight when the red light cameras failed, but luckily everyone was okay. You know, that's not good news, right? Yeah. You got it. You got to report the stuff that's, oh, wow. You know, markets change. Oh, wow. You know, this, that fights, you know, kidnapping, yeah. all that stuff. That's but what let, sells there. You know that. But let's just say you are a bear and you're bearish on the real estate market and you have, a client that's feeding your family or about to, and you like feeding your family, how do you with good conscience? I, and I know that, you know, I, other than that realtors are just there to facilitate a transaction and, you know, like people need to be protected from the system. The system, the way it's built is a real mess right now. Realtors are incentivized to sell stuff. Brokers are incentivized to facilitate that sale so like everybody gets fed by doing their job which is how it should work but the incentive side of things is making uh people do things that they may know are otherwise not the best thing for certain people yeah totally i mean there's definitely that incentive there and i mean all you have to do is look to the comment section to, to find people that believe the real estate agents are incentivized to uh, to just sell houses. Um, I think the the key thing for anybody in our industry right now is um, we've been looking at this market as a short term market for the last two years. It's like what's going to happen in the next month to three months. That's it. That's what we've been looking at. And the reality of a, of a home purchase is a home purchase is not a short term decision. It might be for a flipper. It might be for a a speculator who's buying pre-construction construction stuff but for most people who are buying a home to live in so 80 percent of the homes that are sold in canada it's a long-term decision and if you start framing it from the perspective of the long-term decision i think that changes the conversation because does it matter if the if property values are going to go down by one five ten percent if you plan on living in that property for the next 15 or 20 years and you can go and you can pull up graphs of you know, going back to 2000 and let's go, just go back to 2007. And you can see that there's this spike in the market. And then there's this little blip. That's the financial crisis in the U S and then here we are 14 years later and housing prices are well above what they were at that point in time. So 
if somebody's thinking about the purchase from a long-term perspective, that changes the conversation about, about it. And then it also changes the conversation with respect to Mr. Buyer, Mr. Seller. Are you really concerned about whether this market, this property goes down by five or $10,000 or $100,000 if you know that you're going to live all the way through that? Because obviously you need somewhere to live. And on the other side of it is if housing prices can you know, go back up, right away, you could sit here and wait for three to six months and then find yourself paying more anyways. So it's, that's why I always say on my channel, it's really about buying at the time that you, that you need to buy. Steve, uh, Steve Karish says this really well. He says, it's a needs market versus a wants market. And if you're looking at your needs and you're looking at long-term decision-making, then I don't think it really matters when you purchase a property. So people have an issue with what you said, Noah. Right. And that's why I'm, I don't, I agree with everything you just said, but people have yeah. an issue. They, they say realtors, you should know the market's trending down. It's three months in a row. You should be telling your clients not to buy. They should wait to the bottom. Uh, yeah. you're, you're just doing it for your own. And this is where Daryl's question is coming from. You're just doing this to benefit yourself and to feed your family. You don't really care about your clients and all that kind of stuff. Right. But the, yeah. but the answer I give is, like, what do we really know? Like, do we really know that the market's going up or down every three months? Like how, how much information does anybody well, really have about the direction that the market's going to be in three to six months? Yeah. I mean, I'm right. I'm relatively certain that the people that provide the exact criticism that you described didn't buy in April, 2020, and then sell in February, 2022 for a massive profit profit, right? Like they weren't able to call the market. They don't Nobody even own does. a house. No, come on. <laughs> exactly because they they, they've been trying to call the market all this time exactly waiting yeah, yeah. Right. Li listening to guys like robert kiyosaki saying that the whole system's gonna crash and buy oh. gold and blah 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 but i mean there's good stuff in robert kiyosaki too but i mean the guy's been calling a crash forever 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 and look it's not they're not wrong, these guys. It doesn't take a genius to look at the current situation. I mean, we had a, I don't even know how many videos that we titled, like, is this sustainable? How long can this continue? And we had tons of guests going, like, I feel like it's cooling right now. And meanwhile, it wasn't cooling, but we felt like it was cooling because, you know, people didn't buy something for two days or there was like a holiday or who knows, we got locked down all 20. of a sudden. Yeah, it's cooling, it's cooling. Um, when, when, when it was at that froth, that froth, and everybody was like, man, this is fucking crazy. Like, how long can this keep going for? How long can this keep going for? You know, like, if we were looking at a train uh, coming at us and our families were there and people we cared about were there, we kind of like hold them back and go, maybe we should like not take a couple more steps right now because that train's going to destroy us soon. But nobody did that. Nobody did that except for the bears that have been crying for 30 years that the market's going to hell. Right. Totally. But, 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 that, but there's the flip side because there's people that are out there saying like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Well, don't worry. We'll, we'll get you the mortgage. Don't worry. Go like you can afford it. Go, go, go. And, and it's not wrong. It's just like, there's some people that are saying that, that they actually are right. And then there's some people saying it to people and they know they're wrong. Like that, that people, yeah. those people going for that crazy, ridiculous B mortgage or whatever, Brampton mortgage, right? <laughs> 
But, the, but this is the facts, right? Like there's people going into stuff that everybody knows that they can't afford at every step of the process, right? Yeah. So how do we eliminate those kind of things from happening? Because like in a market like right now, we will start to see AMs get longer, right? Amortization periods get longer. We're going to see all kinds of creative trickery to keep payments in a place uh, where they can be affordable so that people can keep lending out money and the, the machine can keep going, right? We'll see people yeah. getting more creative, won't we? Yeah, I mean, on that on that fraud side of things, like the Brampton mortgage, by the way, the Brampton mortgage, for those who don't know, is basically Brampton's got developed a name for itself uh, because of some... Um, some unscrupulous people who basically faked job letters and pay stubs and basically got people mortgages for way more than what they could qualify for. Um, yeah. I think as people get more desperate, you're always going to see more stuff like that happen. I can tell you um, that stuff is getting caught more and more often right now. It's harder and harder for anybody to get away with that. Like, I don't think we've ever had a deal get through our company um, that had anything sort of fraudulent on it, but I can tell you that in the early days of 2021, when my YouTube channel was taking off, we had a lot of people tr uh, try to get some bias and, uh, and we caught a lot of them. And if we didn't catch them, the lenders caught them. So yeah, I think that that could potentially be a problem. And I think the message for people who are buying a house is just don't do anything that, um, that gets you a house that's more than what you can afford, because that's just a recipe for a disaster. Uh, and then from there, like, I don't, I don't know how you fix it. I really don't have an answer for that. I mean, it's everyone's got to do the best to not do bad things on their own. And, and, you know, the people who do are just exposing themselves to more risk. So, so if you don't eat because you say, guys, I, th I really don't think you guys can afford this house and I can't help you with this house. Uh, if you starve to death because of that, it's not an easy decision to make, yeah. right? So, so are there different incentives all around? Because it, it's the same for, because in that process, you've got a, at least one realtor that knows you probably can't afford it. You, you have a mortgage broker that's figured out you can't afford it. And you've got uh, um, an underwriter who knows you can't afford it. And right, like all of this kind of happens, plus a bank probably figured it out at some point. But they have all these people that are incentivized to get that that deal through, right? Mm -hmm. Including the purchaser for some God knows, God, like, I don't know what their incentive is to get that thing. But you have all of these incentives in place that are driving this behavior, right? Yeah. If you were if you were awarded maybe for saying, you know what, I think you should hold on a sec. And that was documented and you just save somebody 150 grand by not buying that house. I don't know how that's possible, but there has to be better ways of doing this thing right yeah i mean just keep going like it's monopoly and just those are the rules let's fucking go I, I mean if you're asking like from a realtor's perspective what i think the best thing to do is i think if you look at guys like steve karish steve karish who you know we had that big little feud on uh youtube um but he's like he's the first guy to tell a buyer this is not the right move for you you look at guys like Tom Story. Um, you look at guys like um, like Matthew Pfeiffer in Saskatchewan, who for whatever reason likes to come at me all the time with uh, taking clips of my videos and, and stuff. But I mean, if I, I could take that. a guy like him and 
like the information he puts out, the integrity he has and the way he approaches real estate. If I could take him and put him in every single market in Canada, like the real estate market in Canada would be a significantly better place. And he, my and experience he would just, ah. just to point out, he would dominate in all those areas the same way because yeah. it's a free market. And that's totally. a service that people are looking for. Totally. Right? And our experience with our mortgage company is like, you know, being the B Corp certification that we have, which is that certification around accountability, transparency. It's what panic or it's what um, Patagonia has. And it's what Ben and Jerry's have. And it's all about like using business as a force for good. We don't do that, those things because we have that certification. We have that certification because we do those things. And my experience is, is when we tell a client, you know, this isn't the right move for you. Sometimes they get pissed off and they go elsewhere, but more often than not, they're sending their friends and their family because they're going, because three to six months later, they realize Nolan and the mortgage 360 crew saved me from making a really bad mistake. And, you know, it might not, you might not feed yourself on that transaction, but you may end up finding yourself in a situation somewhere down the road where um, you're getting more business and feeding yourself more because you did the right thing consistently. And, you know, I think, I think that's the biggest thing for real estate agents right now is just continue to do the right thing and ask a lot of questions. And if you're asking the market will, will de-incentivize people from using those shady realtors, Daryl. Yeah. I mean, the guys who too many realtors. Exactly. So right now there's a shift and, and people will leave the market and people will now want a guy like Nolan doing their mortgage more than ever because they'll come out of this hearing all their stories of their friend who went with the no-name guy at the bank or whatever. And they're going to come out saying, no, I need somebody who's going to have like a strategy to protect me. It's not just about getting a mortgage anymore, right? Totally. Same thing on the real estate size too, right? Yeah. And, and that's exactly the thing is the guys who were just selling houses for the sake of selling houses and lying to people and, and all that stuff, market turns, they're gone. Like, they're, they're going to have a hard time surviving and people are going to start looking back to real estate agents going, I really need good advice and I need to make sure I make the right decision here. And that's in these down markets, that's where we start to find who the really great real estate agents are and mortgage brokers are. And that's who everybody flocks to because it's no longer about find the guy who can get me the house. It's about find me the guy who can give me the best advice because all of a sudden the market's churning. I don't know what's going on, but maybe TK or Daryl does. And that ends up being, I don't, I don't want the kickback. I don't want the discount commission. I don't want the family friend. I want the best and I I don't want to take any chances. Exactly. And that's what it is. I had, I had a, one of your videos, you talked about the Scotiabank adjustable rate mortgages with like a, Mm -hmm. I forget what it's called. And you have like a line of credit set up. Is that Mm -hmm. still something that you're recommending to people? The step. I mean, I think that particular mortgage is probably one of the single best ways to, Protect yourself from, from, you know, higher inflation and whatnot, just because as you pay down the mortgage, if you need to reaccess your equity, you can. Now that could potentially just be uh, delaying the inevitable for most people. But if you can get that product and like we have that product and if you can get it and something happens where you lose a job, because let's, let's call a spade a spade. Someone's going to lose a job here in the very near future. I mean, we've got, external factors on inflation affecting internal inflation in Canada, which is affecting internal interest rates, which means at some point the interest rates are going to go high enough that it's going to affect the job market. Um, And having that Scotia step product and having that line of credit available, if you're smart enough not to use it, unless you absolutely need to, um, I think is a really, really great feature. 
um, and something that could protect a lot of people. Explain that again, just quickly. So you get a line of credit, but then it becomes part of your mortgage. So the step product, how it works, if it's set up properly, there, it, it's not always set up this way. Um, but if it's set up properly, what ends up happening is you pay down your mortgage. So let's pay, say you pay $1,000 a month in principal this month, you get $1,000 available on a line of credit. And what that does ah. is it makes it so that let's say you lose your job and you've got $10,000 available on your line of credit, you can survive for a month and while you look for another job. But it's you're borrowing your own equity back instead of more debt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's still debt. You're still borrowing that equity. That line um, of credit though, is it like, you, you know, prime plus whatever, or is it, does, does it roll back into your monthly payments? It's prime plus a half. Uh, you can, you can get them to lock part of it into a fixed rate if you want to. So if you say, I got, I got 20,000 and I don't want it on line of credit anymore, you can lock it into a fixed rate or you can get it flipped into a variable, but it's just a really, and, and BMO, by the way, so BMO has a product that's similar to it. RBC has a product that's similar to it. CIBC has a product that's similar to it. TD does. The reason I like the Scotiabank one is because they're their variable rate is an adjustable rate. So the payments change as interest rates change. So you don't find yourself in a negative amortizing uh, scenario or with massive payments at renewal. Um, so I like that product best, but if you basically got 20% equity in your house and you've got a big bank mortgage, you can usually get a similar type product at pretty much every major bank. And so is there anybody that it makes more sense to go with a fixed rate right now than a variable? Um, I mean, if, if you just won't be able to sleep at night, I mean, we've got, we've got a bunch of clients that just locked into fixed rate mortgages and, and they're going to, they're going to pay probably way too much, but because they're at variable of 2.75, it'll be 3.7 or 3.5 in um, come july but they're basically he just he just played his hand there daryl he says 75 percent, 75 basis points oh, i know i was yeah, that was my next certainty. question Ooh. that was my next question damn with certainty no certainty with okay. certainty so they released the inflation numbers this week right 7.7 percent highest since 1983 they reweighted the baskets included used cars yeah included used cars which should have bumped it came back and said actually the used car numbers wouldn't have affected inflation. And now you've got these even bigger numbers in May, which was not expected. Um, there's no way that they don't go 75 basis points to match what happened in the U S I had such a great lead up to that question. Damn 75. Okay. okay. What do you say? You think <laughs> I'm, 75? I'm going to stick with 50, not because I don't think we need, it should go up hundred basis points. I mean, we, we should be getting uh, this up to how much more percent overnight rate as soon as possible. But isn't, um, isn't that... I just think that they're scared. I think that they're, they're, they're just, um, you know, they hesitate we, too much. Have we even felt the rate hikes that have happened yet? Like, isn't the rule of thumb that you don't feel the rate hikes until like 12 or 18 or 24 months down the road? Yeah, it definitely has a leg. There's also another rule of thumb, not a rule of thumb, but it's what's called a liquidity trap. Liquidity trap is when you get interest rates so low that when you do need to raise them, the effects of raising them are non-existent. So in other words, you lose control of the money supply and, and you can raise interest rates all you want, but it doesn't affect inflation. 
that might be where we're at. And if it uh, is, what that means is that they raise interest rates, kills jobs, kills growth, and then they have to drop them back down again because they realize that they, they weren't able to do anything with it. And, and here's the thing, right? This inflation is a, a, a global issue right now. And I think we talked about this last time I was on, but it's a global issue. Like we're talking, um, we're talking high energy prices. We don't control that locally, right? Um, we're talking Russian war that has had an effect. A lot of people say it hasn't, it has without question. Um, who was it? Was it the economist this week that said that, um, that the war in, in Ukraine is factoring in a $30 premium to oil prices? So that's a significant amount of our inflation right there. That's something that we don't control. Um, and then you've got the supply chain stuff where we've got China going back into lockdowns and it's, and it's June of 2022, right? So we've got all of these things happening that Bank of Canada raising interest rates doesn't affects none of those three things. And those are the three of the biggest components to our inflation right now. So then the question is, becomes what happens if we do increase interest rates because we can impact the, uh, the supply side of things. And that just means that we're going to suck out all of the all of the demand in the Canadian economy, all the money that there is to spend. We're going to create some job issues, and we're already starting to see uh, see some job numbers come back in that are a little bit more negative. And we're seeing negative GDP growth or close to negative GDP growth. At least we did in April. We'll see the May numbers pretty soon here. And at the end of the day, like we're we're finding ourselves in a situation where we're doing a whole bunch of things with interest rates that probably aren't going to have a ton of effect on inflation. So then, you know, when things get really bad from a GDP standpoint and from a job standpoint, guess what happens? Probably have to have interest rates go back down. Daryl and I both got our passports renewed. I got my son's passport renewed. He got uh, somebody, who did you get? It's got over a hundred. No, it was my daughter's. It's got a hundred thousand views, this thing. Okay. So we, we had to get passports <laughs> renewed the same day today, every same day this week, ironically enough. So we're both getting our passports renewed and um, I'm in a lineup with, you know, there's about 300 people there. I was about number 150. So there's 150 before me, 150, 150 people after me. All those people are going to be spending their money within the next 45 days. Cause that was a requirement to be there. You had to have a trip booked. Interest yeah. rates aren't affecting the population in general. Yes, if you're going to go and renew a mortgage. Yes, if you're going to borrow for your business. Yes, if you need to borrow money today. But the liquidity trap like you're talking about is some people that, that it doesn't affect their life at all. They're, they're not going to be borrowing money anytime soon. They have cash. They have money. They have job. They have security. And they're spending that money. And it's not going to change inflation anytime in the near future, regardless of interest rates. I think they know that. It's just about okay. trying to, to scare people into making better decisions before we come into whatever economic crisis that we're, we're going to be facing, yeah. which a, a lot of it's optics for sure. I mean, it's going to have, we're probably going to see in, in July and August, it start to affect housing costs and, and shelter costs just because all those rate holds will be running out. And then people will have to be buying property at 5% interest rates. Uh, so it's going to affect the, the real estate market a little bit. And that should start to pull a little bit off of inflation. But I mean, for the most part, like you're right, it's the consumer spending that's happening. It's going to take a while for that to those interest rate hikes to filter through, especially all the people who have 1.35 and 1.55 five-year fix uh, mortgages. Those people 
aren't going to feel these interest rate hikes for quite some time. And by the way, we, one of the things in one of those videos that those other YouTubers made about me is they say that, you know, the people who are really going to win is, are the people that have 1.35 and 1.55 uh, fixed rate mortgages. And believe me, when, when those rates were available, we had a lot of clients that took them. We weren't variable at that point because the variable and the, uh, and the fixed rates were so close together that the variable or that the fixed rates really made sense. So, and those so, people, like I said, aren't going to, they aren't going to feel that inflation, uh, the, that interest rate pressure anytime soon. They definitely won't. So, so, so now the environment we're in, we've got rates going up, not really affecting inflation for, for everyday things that everybody needs. We have the floodgates opening on immigration, like students are flooding back to the country. There's nowhere for them to live right now. Rental market is going bananas. And on top of all that, all of the developers, not all, but the smart ones are putting the brakes on, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're getting stuff zoned, but they're not launching projects and they're not launching projects for a while. I can tell you that unless they absolutely have to, like this thing is on pause from a new unit perspective, right? Unless maybe yeah, you're in totally. Calgary where things are booming, uh, Bald Prairie, uh, Michael, or sorry, Matthew says that Saskatchewan is building like crazy all of a sudden. But like what I foresee, and I don't know when, but like these, these big funds that people are, are raising and these big companies that are looking to come in and buy up all of the housing here, the evil investors, like soon it, the environment is like ripe for people to start buying investment properties again, isn't it? Like when... When is the time right? Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's and that's that that question again. If we could all time the market, right? We already bought in April of 2020, and we would have uh, sold in February. Just flipped it this year, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like a hero. I think it, I think you're gonna need. I think. Okay, so let's talk about the the big fund thing uh, real quick because there's this perception in Canada that. Um, these big funds that are coming in and buying residential properties, right? And um, for the most part, it's it's pretty absurd because when you look at CMHC's programs for building right now, like you can build a $5 million apartment complex at 95% loan to value, so 5% down, down with a 50-year amortization. Um, these big funds aren't going to come in and buy up all these properties in cash if they see an opportunity to buy uh, to build and and do it with a ton of leverage, well, knowing that they've got the backing to uh, support that leverage, they're probably going to end up be doing things like that. Um, as far as like buying investment properties, you know, did you guys see? Um, here, let me I'll pull it up here. I don't know if you guys can see this real easy, but this was uh, Bank of Canada. Um, it's a staff analytical note, so this doesn't really hit the news too much. But this, but you can go to the Bank of Canada and you can look at all of their research. Um, this came out a few days ago, and they're talking. How did you share about, your screen without being the host? Uh, you just flipped his screen. Tricks and magic for that. <laughs> you didn't share it. It's um, instead of him. <laughs> so if you look at this this chart, and hopefully you can see it okay. If you look at this chart, this is like how much housing prices increased relative to how far away from the center, the central core of a city um, people were. And what you saw is you see these huge run-ups in prices during the pandemic 
you know, between 50 and 75 kilometers away from downtown cores. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if I can get down here real fast, you know, this is the price premiums in the blue lines, the price premiums in 2016 uh, for downtown core. So if you bought mm. 80 kilometers away from a downtown core, you got a 35% discount on those prices. Now in 2021, you get a 10 or 11% discount. I have a feeling that this is going, to, this gap is going to rewiden. So, you know, you look at downtown Toronto, you look at places close to universities, you look at uh, the areas close to hospitals, you're going to see those prices remain high, but everything that is further out from there is probably going to start to see a little bit of pain. So could you buy a real, uh, an investment? If you were going to buy an investment, could you buy it close to a downtown core? Um, yeah, that might be the, the place to buy it, but I don't know. I think you probably want to wait three to six months to see how the, how the market's handling these higher interest rates. I agree. And I think there's going to be a lot of people waiting three to six months to see what happens. And they're, I mean, where, where, where are putting people putting money right now? If you, if you're in the stock market, you're, unless I guess you're buying into stuff you really believe in right now. And you're one of the brave ones that rushes in. Uh, right I had now. someone come to me yesterday with some, some ideas, like, and they were like, we want to invest. And so they had a $400,000 budget and it was like, you know, here are your options. And I said, these places are all trash and they're not good investments. And you can end up losing a lot of money if you went into them. And I was like, you got some great GIC options and mutual funds and bonds. I said bonds. that might actually be where to put your money right now because they were, they need to buy within the next couple of years. And I said, you know, just let's revisit this in two years. Your income will be higher. You know, you'll have a bigger down payment. I said, go find a basement apartment, settle down. Mm -hmm. I said, just go to buy some $385,000 condo in a building that is lousy is, is not a very safe investment, but Really, what else is there? There is no other options, Daryl. You, well, you talk to people that say it's going to be like a 1980s Volker style, uh, you know, crazy, deep, long, high interest rate recession. Yeah. And I don't think that's the case because I love how I love how guys will go into the comment section and be like, read up on Volker, read up on this. It's like, yeah, you read <laughs> you the one too? line that said interest rates went to 5%. Congratulations. But yeah. when Volker increased interest rates by 5%, yes, there was a whole bunch of oil and energy stuff that was happening. But there was also a ton of productivity in the US economy at that time. And there was homegrown inflation, which is why they did what they did. The, the inflation now isn't necessarily homegrown. And and, and by the way, interest rates were at 10 to 15%. It was definitely not a liquidity trap at the time when, when they did that. And those, they actually had some control over the money supply, which I'm thinking that we don't have at this point now. It is a totally different environment. Who's, who was the and other I, one? I, Taylor? Was it Taylor that they bring up? Taylor rule. One. The Taylor yeah. rule. But, but hold on a sec. So I, I don't disagree with you. Um, but what I do find from the people in the comments and the uh, anonymous people on Twitter um, and the people that think they know, there seems to be an age difference. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I lived through, well, I, I barely lived through uh, 2008, 2009. I got destroyed financially. So I have, you know, seen a down market that was very destructive, at least to me, but I've never been, 
in a business environment personally where inflation was a factor, where there has been a world war going on, um, and we're coming off the heels of that word that we shouldn't say so that we keep getting lots of views, right? Mm -hmm. how, how, how do guys like us who are thankfully younger than the guys in the comment sections who are very bitter about their experience in the 90s uh, and 80s, um, how do we know we're right? Because we are missing a valuable component to the stew. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think any of us know whether or not we're right. And I can tell you this, like as an economist, having studied the financial markets of the 70s and the 80s and going back to the early 1900s, um, what the where we're at right now is unlike any position that we've been in in the last 100 years. Like we've never had a pandemic with uh, with a war happening at exactly the same time with ultra low interest rates um, supply, with supply issues. a global supply chain like a global supply chain in the 1920s when we had the Spanish flu, 1918 when we had the Spanish flu, didn't exist. So how do you look at the 1920s as a comparison to that? The only thing that 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 we that right now has in common with the late 1970s and early 1980s is inflation. That's it. Like that's the one thing. So Agreed. you know you can't go and you, I get why guys are going and pointing to the 1980s and going, remember this? We're going to see interest rates go up a ton because this is what happens when inflation happens. Um, you know, they're pointing to one aspect of a bigger picture. The only thing that worries me about that 1970s, 80s picture um, relative to now is that the guys that are running the, the central banks were all around during that 1970s and 1980s area. And they remember the pain and they remember what was done to fix it. So they may have a tendency to do the same thing. And then what the, the question will be in the, and what, what we'll be telling is what happens if they do the same thing. Because I have a feeling that the outcome won't be the same as what it was in the 1970s or 1980s. Mm -hmm. we, we've, right. we've, we've talked a lot here, Nolan, and we could do this all day long. Um, mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that you can get out there and start getting some more mortgages for people. Um, further to your point, name two decades in the last 100 years that were exactly the same economically, right? Doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Plus, right. there's a ton of technology that's coming down the pipe now that's just going to change things so drastically that, like, even if you know, you probably can't really you can, you can picture what the heck's coming yeah. down the pipe. So thank you again for your uh, time, sir. Amazing. We appreciate yep. it. We have the goat of My Canadian pleasure. real estate YouTube on YouTube. with us again. YouTube we didn't scare him off the first time. This is amazing. Uh, this is amazing. I'm it's honored a, that you call privilege. me that, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. The privilege. Next time we will make sure you have your crown on for the all, entire all areas. Telecast. All areas of his life are just full steam ahead right now. Love There's it. lots of people coming for me. I know that for sure. That's it. We're you guys are doing a great job. And <laughs> as are a bunch of the other guys that you're having on. So, you know, it's cool to see that we've got this awesome community built and, uh, and everyone's doing the same thing. We're it's all working together, fun. right? So totally. Uh, we will post your uh, links below for anybody interested in dealing with Mr. Nolan directly. Uh, thank you to everybody watching. Mr. TK, always a pleasure. Sayonara. Sayonara, baby.
This episode is brought to you by Landlord. This landlord software is a game changer. You upload your properties, right? You upload all the information, income, expenses, timelines, mortgage details, everything that you need to have so that you keep track of everything in your portfolio. And as you go through real-time adjustments in you know, rent increases and uh, water bills and, and tax bills and everything else, they're gonna actually give you recommendations on how to make your portfolio more efficient. And it just breaks everything down for me in a way that I've never seen before. Like Excel spreadsheets just don't cut it. I don't think there's a better program or app out there for investors and it's free. Please click the link below for your free trial offer. New on Curiosity Stream, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.